Chapter 11 of A Mummer's Wife by George Moore. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 11. Next morning, the sky was low and grey, and the house tops appeared dimly through the mist. A little later, the clouds began to gather, and it seemed like rain. But now and then, a shaft of sunlight fell on the corner of the table within a few inches of Kate's impatiently moving fingers. She'd not been able to eat any breakfast had just crumbled a piece of bread and sipped a cup of tea, and begged Dick to hasten. It seemed that he hadn't a thought for her, of what her fate would be if they missed the train. She couldn't spend another night in Hanley. Oh, Dick, dear, do make haste. We shall miss the train. Oh, we've plenty of time, he answered, and she read in his face the desire for another plate of crumpets, and she prayed that he might not ask for another egg. "'Dick, it's ten minutes to ten. "'I don't think it can be as much as that, dear.' "'He turned to look at the clock which was behind him. "'Oh, Dick, Dick, make haste, I beg of you. "'You don't know what I'm suffering. "'Supposing my husband was to come in now and find us here.' "'He can't know that we're here. "'The station is the first place he'd go to.' "'There's no use hanging about there longer than we can help.' "'Oh, dear, I'd give ten years of my life if we were once in the train.' "'There's no use exciting yourself like that, dear. "'I'll see that you don't meet anyone.' "'How will you manage that?' "'I'll tell you in the cab. "'I think on the whole we'd better start now. "'Luckily we haven't much luggage to delay us.' Waiter, bring the bill and call me a cab. And how will you save me from meeting him if he's there before us? She said to Dick as they drove away. I'll leave you in the cab and cut down to see if he's there. He might come and find me when you were gone, and that'd be worse than anything. He might kill me, and I should have no one to save me. He was, in truth, a little puzzled, for there was no getting away from the fact that it was only too possible, not to say probable, that they would find Mr. Ede waiting for them. He thought of disguises and secret doors and masks and wigs, of the wardrobe baskets, but a moment's reflection convinced him of the impracticability of stowing Kate away in one of these. He then thought of wrapping a railway rug around his newly acquired wife, and carrying her thus concealed in his arms, but that would not do either. Mr. Ede would be sure to ask him what he had there. Oh, Dick, dear, what shall we do if we find him waiting on the platform? You'll protect me, won't you? You won't desert me. I couldn't go back to him. Of course not. Let him take you away from me. Not me. If you don't want to live with him any more, you've a right to leave him. I'll knock him down if he gives me any of his cheek. Oh, you won't do that, will you, dear? Remember how small and weak he is. You'd kill him. Mm, that's true, so I would. Well, I'm damned if I know what to do. You'll have to come with me even if he does kick up a row. It'll be deuced unpleasant, and before the whole company, too. Don't you think that you could wait a moment in the cab while I have a look round? I won't go far. Oh, I'd be too afraid. Couldn't you ask someone to go for you? 
i'll see who's there said dick twisting his neck to look around the corner by jove they're all there beaumont dolly goddard i think i'll ask montgomery he's a devilish good chap we'd better stop the cab here and i'll call to him kate consented and a moment after the musician's immense nose and scarecrow face was poked in the window hey old pal what is it waiting oh but i beg um oh never mind that said dick laying his hand on the young fellow's arm i want you to do me a favour run down on the platform and see if there's a little scraggy man about the height of dubois hanging about anywhere you can't mistake him he's a dirty dark beard that grows on his face like a bunch of grass and he's no chest little thin shoulders and he'd have on um a pair of grey trousers and a red woollen comforter round his neck whispered kate feeling bitterly ashamed all right said montgomery i'll spot him if he's there but you know the train goes in ten minutes or less and hayes says he can't take the tickets you've all the coin oh so i have i forgot to send it round to him last night ask him to step up here there's a good fellow now i bet you hayes won't be able to get the tickets right he's perfectly useless always boozed nipping you know kate did not answer and an uneasy silence ensued which was broken at length by the appearance of a hiccuping long-whiskered man how are you old man uh, hey who's um i don't think i have the pleasure of this lady's acquaintance mrs ede mr hayes our acting manager uh, now look here hayes you go and get the tickets i can't leave this lady uh, thirty-five will do how oh, thirty-five we travel forty-one you know well enough that thirty-five is what we always get damn it man make haste don't damn me new member of the company eh? i'll tell you all about that after old man said dick leaning forward and pretending to whisper confidentially this satisfied the tippler who after pulling his silky whiskers and serving kate to another drunken stare hurried off black bag in hand confounded nuisance having to deal with a fellow like that he thinks he's a dab at business and goes about with the black bag for show two minutes passed maybe three it seemed to her an eternity and then she heard montgomery's voice crying it's all right i'm sure oh then get out dear said dick we haven't a moment to lose she jumped out but hadn't walked a dozen yards before she stopped panic-stricken <gasps> mrs ede my mother-in-law perhaps she's there oh dick what shall i do she isn't there montgomery answered i know her by sight and that montgomery should know her mother-in-law by sight meant to kate as much as a footprint does to a lost one in a desert for the sight of the company on the asphalt and all the luggage portmanteau and huge white baskets labelled morton and cox's operatic company and the train waiting to carry them away to an unknown destination made her feel more intensely than ever that she was adrift in a current that would carry her she knew not whither all these strange people collected together were henceforth her world she was not unnaturally frightened 
but the baggage man especially filled her with alarm so all-powerful did he seem rushing up and down the platform shouting at the porters and throwing out bits of information to the ladies of the company as he passed them by we shall be off in a minute dear whispered dick softly in her ear and then whose carriage are you going in dick said a little stout man who walked with a strut and wore a hat like a bishop's uh, i don't really know um, uh, i don't mind anywhere except with the pipe smokers can't stand that lot mm, perhaps he's going to take a first-class compartment with hot water pans remarked mortimer and the little group of admirers all laughed consumedly dick overhearing the remark said to kate one mustn't take notice of what he says i very nearly kicked him into the orchestra at halifax about six months ago but what compartment shall we take let's go with leslie and dubois and montgomery they're the quietest let me introduce you to miss leslie miss leslie mrs ede a lady i'm escorting to blackpool you two have a chat together i'll be back in a minute i must go after hayes if i don't he may forget all about the tickets i'm afraid you'll find us a very noisy lot mrs ede said miss leslie and in a way that made kate feel intimate with her at once miss leslie had a bright smiling face with clear blue eyes and a mop of dyed hair peeped from under a prettily ribboned bonnet and kate noticed how beautifully cut were her clothes miss beaumont sported large diamonds in her ears and she wore a somewhat frayed yellow french cloak which she explained to the girls near her particularly to her pal dolly goddard was quite good enough for travelling no one in the company could understand the friendship between those two the knowing ones declared that dolly was beaumont's daughter others who professed to be more knowing entertained other views dolly was a tiny girl with crumpled features who wore dresses that were remade from the big woman's cast-off garments she sang in the chorus was in receipt of a salary of five-and-twenty shillings a week and was a favourite with everyone around her stood a group of girls they formed a black mass of cotton alpaca and dirty cloth near them half a dozen chorus men were talking of the possibility of getting another drink before the train came up their frayed boots and threadbare frock-coats would have caused them to be mistaken for street idlers but one or two of their number exhibited patent leathers and a smart made-up cravat of the latest fashion dubois hat gave him the appearance of a bishop his tight trousers confounded him with a groom and joe mortimer made up very well for the actor whose friends once believed he was a genius the news had gone about that dick was running away with a married woman and that the husband was expected to appear every minute to stop her it had reached even the ears of the chorus men in the refreshment room and they gulped down their beer and hurried back to see the sport mortimer declared that they were going to see dick for the first time in a legitimate drama and that he wouldn't miss it for the world the joke was repeated through the groups and before the laughter ceased the green painted engine puffed into sight and at the same moment dick was seen making his way towards them from the refreshment room dragging drunken mr hayes along with them then kate felt glad and almost triumphantly she dashed the tears from her eyes no one could stop her now she was going away with dick to be loved and live happy for ever 
Beaumont was forgotten, and the fierce longing for change she had been so long nourishing completely mastered her, and with the childlike impetuosity she rushed up to her lover, and leaning on his arm, strove to speak. "'What is it, dear?' he said, bending towards her. "'What are you crying about?' "'Oh, nothing, Dick. I'm so happy. Oh, if only we were outside this station. Where shall I get in?' Even if her husband did come, and she were taken back, she thought that she would like to have been at least inside a railway carriage. "'Get in here. Where's Montgomery? Let's have him.' "'Oh, and do ask Miss Leslie. She's been so kind to me.' "'Yes, she always travels with us,' said Dick, standing at the carriage door. "'Come, get in, Montgomery. Make haste, Dubois.' "'But where's Brett?' shouted someone. "'I haven't seen him,' replied several voices. "'Is there any lady missing?' asked Montgomery. "'No,' replied Mortimer, in the deepest nasal intonation he could assume. "'But I noticed the relation of the chief banker in the town in the theatre last night. Perhaps our friend has had his cheque stopped.' Roars of laughter greeted this sally, the relevance of which no one could even faintly guess, and the guard smiled as he said to the porter, "'That's Mr. Mortimer. Amusing is them theatre gentlemen.' And then, turning to Dick, "'I must start the train. Your friend will be late if he doesn't come up jolly quick.' "'Isn't it extraordinary that Brett can never be up to time? Every night there's a stage wait for him to come on for the serenade,' said Dick, withdrawing his head from the window. "'Here he is, sir,' said the guard. "'Oh, come on, Brett, you'll be late.' shouted Dick. A tall, thin man in a velvet coat, urged on by two porters, was seen making his way down the platform with a speed that was evidently painful. "'In here,' said Dick, opening the door. Out of the dim station they passed into the bright air, alongside of long lines of wagons laden with chimney-pots and tiles, the produce of Hanley. The collieries steamed above their cinder hills, the factory chimneys vomited, and as Kate looked out on this world of work that she was leaving forever, she listened to the uncertain trouble that mounted up through her mind, and to the voices of the actors talking of comic songs and dances. She put out her hand instinctively to find Dick's. He was sitting beside her, and she felt happy again. At these intimacies none but Frank Brett was surprised, and the laugh that made Kate blush was occasioned by the tenor's stupid questioning look. It was the first time he had seen her. He had not yet heard the story of the elopement, and his glance went from one to the other, vainly demanding an explanation, and to increase the hilarity Dick said, "'But, by the way, Brett, what made you so late this morning? Were you down at the bank cashing a cheque? "'What are you thinking about? There's no banks open on Sunday morning,' said Brett, who of course had not the least idea what was meant. The reply provoked peals of laughter from all save Miss Leslie, and all possible changes were rung on the joke, until it became as nauseous to the rest of the company as to the bewildered tenor, who bore the chaff with the dignified stupidity of good looks. The mummers travelled third class. Kate sat next the window with her back to the engine. Dick was beside her, and Miss Leslie facing her. Then came Dubois and Brett, with Montgomery at the far end. 
The conversation had fallen, and Dick, passing his arm around Kate's waist, whispered to her and to Leslie, "'I want you two to be pals. Lucy is one of my oldest friends. I knew her when she was so high, and it was I who gave her her first part, wasn't it, Lucy?' Oh, "'Yes. Don't you remember, Dick, the first night I played Florette in the Brigands?' "'Wasn't I in a fright? "'I never should have ventured on the stage "'if you hadn't pushed me on from the wings.' "'Kate thought she had never seen anyone look so nice "'or heard anyone speak so sweetly. "'In fact, she liked her better off the stage than on. "'Leslie had a way of raising her voice as she spoke "'till it ended in a laugh and a display of white teeth. "'The others of the company she did not yet recognise they were still to her figures moving through an agitated dream leslie was the first to awaken to life the tendency of dick's conversation was to wander but after having indulged for some time in the pleasures of retrospection he returned to the subject in point well it's a bit difficult to explain dick said but you see this lady mrs ede wasn't very happy at home and having a nice voice you must hear her sing some ango and such an ear she only heard the waltz once and she can give it note for note well to make a long story short she thought she'd cut it and try what she could do with us oh you're all very kind to me but i'm afraid i've been very wicked oh my said miss leslie laughing you mustn't talk like that. You'll put us all to the blush. I wonder how such theories would suit Beaumont's book, said Dick. Uh, you see, Dick continued, she's left Hanley without any clothes except those she's wearing, and we'll have to buy everything in Derby. And he begged Brett to move down a bit and allow him to take the seat next to Leslie. The tenor, conductor, and second low comedian had spread a rug over their knees and were playing nap. They shouted, laughed, and sang portions of their evening music when they made or anticipated making points, and Kate was therefore left to herself, and she looked out of the window. They were passing through the most beautiful parts of Staffordshire, and for the first time she saw the places that seemed to her just like the spot where the lady with the oval face used to read Shelley to the handsome baronet when her husband was away doctoring the country folk. The day was full of mist and sun. Along the edges of the woods, the white vapours loitered, half concealing the forms of the grazing kine, and the light shadows floated on the grass, long and prolonged, even as the memories that were now filling the mind of this sentimental workwoman. It seemed to her that she was now on the threshold of a new life, the life of which she had so long dreamed. Her lover was near her, but in a railway carriage filled with smoke and with various men and women, and it seemed to her that they should be walking in sunny meadows by hedgerows. The birds were singing in the shores, but in her imagination the clicking of needles and the rustling of silk mingled with the songs of the birds, and forgetting the landscape, with a sigh she fell to thinking of what they would be saying of her at home. She knew Mrs. Ede would have the whole town searched, and when it was no longer possible to entertain a doubt, she would say that Kate's name must never again be mentioned in her presence. A letter, 
there was much to say but none would understand the old woman who had once loved her so dearly would forever hate and detest her and ralph kate did not care quite so much what he thought of her she fancied him swearing and cursing and sending the police after her and then he appeared to her as a sullen morose figure moving about the shop growling occasionally at his mother and muttering from time to time that he was devilish glad that his wife had gone away she would have wished him to regret her and when she remembered the little girls she felt the tears rise to her eyes what explanation would be given to them would they learn to hate her she thought not but still they would have to give up coming to the shop there was no one now to teach them sewing her absence would change everything mrs ede would never be able to get on with hender and even if she did neither of them knew enough of dressmaking to keep the business going and she asked herself sorrowfully what will become of them they would not be able to live upon what they sold in the shop that was a mere nothing poor ralph's dreams of plate glass and lamps where were they now mrs ede thirty pounds a year would barely pay the rent a vision of destruction and brokers passed before her mind and she realised for the first time the immense importance of the step she had taken not only was her own future hidden but the future of those she had left behind the tedium of her life in handley was forgotten and she remembered only the quiet certain life she might have led in and out from the shop to the front kitchen and up to her workroom the life that she had been born into now she had nothing but this man's love if she were to lose it leslie smiled at the lovers and moving towards the card players she placed her arm around brett's shoulders and examined his hand then the three men raised their heads dubois with the cynicism of the ugly little man who has ever had to play the part of the disdained lover both in real or fictitious life giggled leered and pointed over his shoulder montgomery smiled too but a close observer would detect in him the yearnings of a young man from whose plain face the falling fruit is ever invisibly lifted brett looked around also but his look was the indifferent stare of one to whom love has come often and he glanced as idly at the picture as a worn-out gourmet would over the bill of fare of a table d'hote dinner a moment after all eyes were again fixed on the game and dick began to speak to kate of the clothes she would have to buy in derby i can give you twenty pounds to fit yourself out do you think you could manage with that oh, i'm afraid i'm putting you to a lot of expense dear not more than you're worth you don't know what a pleasant time we shall have travelling about it's so tiresome being always alone there's no society in these country towns but i shan't want society now and do you think that you won't get tired of me will you never care again for any of these fine ladies and her brilliant eyes drew down dick's lips and when they entered a tunnel the temptation to repeat the kiss was great but owing to dubois's attempt to light matches it ended in failure 
Dick bumped his head against the woodwork of the carriage. Kate felt she hated the little comedian, and before she recovered her temper the train began to slacken speed, and there were frequent calls for Dick from the windows of the different compartments. "'Is the railway company going to stand us treat this journey?' shouted Mortimer. "'Yes,' replied Dick, putting his head out. Seven the last time and seven this. We should have more than a couple of quid.' When the train stopped and a voice was heard crying, "'All tickets here!' he said to Dubois, Brett and Montgomery, "'Now then, you fellows, cut off. Get Mortimer and a few of the chorus men to join you. We're seven short.' As they ran away, he continued to Leslie, "'I hope Hayes won't mungle it. He's got the tickets today.' "'You shouldn't have let him take them. You know he's always more or less drunk, and may answer for forty-two. "'I can't help it if he does. I'd something else to look after at Hanley.' "'Tickets,' said the guard. "'Oh, our acting manager has them. He's in the end carriage.' "'You know, I don't want anything said about it. "'Hayes and I are old pals, "'but it's a damn nuisance to have an acting manager who's always boozed. "'I have to look after everything, even to making up the returns. Uh, "'But I must have a look and see how he's getting on with the guard,' said Dick, "'jumping up and putting his head out of the window. "'After a moment or two he withdrew it and said hastily, "'By Jove, there's a row on. "'I must go and see what's up. "'I bet that fool has gone and done something in a minute he had opened the carriage door and was hurrying down the platform oh, what's the matter oh do tell me said kate to miss leslie i hope you won't get into any trouble oh it's nothing at all we never you know take the full number of tickets for it's impossible for the guard to count us all and besides there are some members who always run down the platform and in that way we save a good deal of coin which is spent in drinks all round. But guessing what was passing in Kate's mind, Leslie said, "'It isn't cheating. The company provides us with a carriage, and it's all the same to them if we travel five-and-thirty or forty-two.'" End of chapter 11